Hey, really good friends. This podcast contains adult content and language. Listen with care. Hello. Hello. And welcome to Historically Really Good Friends, a queer history podcast. I'm Rachel Craig. And I'm Jared Femblow. And Hello. wow. Hello. Should we <laughs> try to really harmonize? Good. I don't really know what that is. You don't know what a harmony is? <laughs> I mean, like, <laughs> like when people are like, let's harmonize. And I'm like. Oh, I just guess. Okay, so let's guess. Let's guess. Okay, let's you ready? That. Wait, wait, wait. wait. But are you going to go <laughs> Are you, you gonna want- go low or high? Um, what what do you want me to do? What would you what are you more comfortable doing? Um let's just I'll go low, you go high. Are we doing hello or just oh? You wanna just do like an uh, oh No, we gotta go full hello. I gotta okay. get into it. Okay, 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 okay. You ready? Okay. ready? You ready? Yeah. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I got so close to the microphone. Too. I don't know, and I barely any sound came out. Oh. All right. Wow. This is <laughs> Welcome. Hello. For real. Hello. Short hello. You look tan. You know what? I'm so glad you asked. No, that wasn't <laughs> a question. It was, a, it was you a didn't ask. It was a statement. <laughs> Would you like to tell me about this? Well, I do look tan, and that is because I got my very first spray tan today. Wow. And for those of you who haven't gotten a spray tan before, I want to tell you the things that I didn't know going into it and maybe would be enlightening for you if you're considering it. Would you be interested? I would. Preemptive question. Yeah. Did someone spray you or was it a machine spraying you? A person sprayed me. A person sprayed me with all organic lavender scented spray. Okay. And you look pretty tan now, but I know that it darkens over a a day or so. What is, where are you going to end? I don't know. Okay. So, so I will say as at time of recording, the spray mm-hmm. tan happened about 4 hours ago. Oh wow, okay. You can begin to shower apparently like a, a quick rinse off 6 to 8 hours. So that that's probably the the peak level tan. So I'm hoping mm. that I'm not going to get any darker than I currently am because I specifically asked to not be dark. Right. than I currently am. I just wanted to kind of continue on it with a little summer glow because I yeah. had to be a hobbit this this summer and I didn't really see get too much sun. It looks great though. It looks good. Thank you. And my hair is also darker. So maybe the contrast, I don't know. Yeah, maybe. But I will say, and sorry I, if this is TMI, I guess. I don't really think that it is. But so I went there and so you have the option as to how many clothes remain on or off when you mm-hmm. get a spray tan. So I got a full body spray tan. I took all my clothes off. So, but it's a, it's a person giving you a spray tan. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Fine, whatever. There are plenty of situations I'm sure many people could find themselves in where they're kind of naked in front of a stranger, right? Probably. So whatever. Yeah, yeah it's fine. No worries. Except that you know, you have various parts of your body that uh, create creases. For example, boobs and butt cheeks. Uh-huh. So, so the 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 person doing the spray tan will just lift them a little <gasps> bit. Oh, 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 oh. no, no. <laughs> just spray to make sure you have no lines. Uh-huh. That is something I did not know. <laughs> so they she 
this so person, she, just, she cupped your boob and... Not a full cup. It okay. wasn't like a full hand underneath. Mm-hmm. We're not talking like... Enough to lift it. But just like a gentle press on the side to just kind of swoop it away. <laughs> okay, and was there... A, like a warning was there a i'm coming like here comes the airplane <laughs> you know? so she so you were kind of in a weird position obviously so you didn't have you're standing like, yeah yeah correct and so your arms are sort of out a little bit and she was just like she they have gloves on and she was like well for my butt there was no warning there was mm-hmm. no warning for my butt and i can't see her so i was facing the wall <laughs> and she just sort of lifted and sprayed. And then for my boobs, I could see her. So I could see that she was coming towards me. So I had a little okay. bit more. Plus I figured, you know, uh-huh. like again, again, there are certain places on your body, you know where you have creases. Sure. So I I was prepared, but um, it's always interesting. <laughs> and let me ask, was there any eye contact during this or were you no. staring like at the complete opposite mm-hmm. direction? Uh-huh. That's what it was. It was sort of one of those things where, again, I don't know if you've had this experience, kind of like um, maybe like a ha- like someone washing your hair in like a hair salon where you're like, uh-huh. I don't have to have my eyes closed for this. Like nothing's affecting my eyes, but it almost feels like it, this would be you better if look. I had my eyes closed. <laughs> <Right? Yeah. laughs> like, do I stand here fully naked in front of a stranger with my eyes closed while I get this liquid sprayed underneath my boob? Uh, or yeah. do I open my eyes and stare at the sign that they had on the wall, which said, be the best version of you? I chose to stare at that sign that said, yeah. be the best version of you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I feel like standing there with your eyes closed would have been weirder somehow yeah. than like yes. starfishing as yeah, someone spraying that's what you. It is. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, it looks great. I Thank you. I'm sorry that that happened to you, but also glad no, I, that it happened to you. You know what? Now you know. You never know until you do. So so true. So true. It was a quick experience for me, at least, rather painless. Yeah, I think for right now it looks okay. I also got a French manicure, so I kind of feel like I look like a early two thousands like porn actress a little uh, bit right yeah. now, with like a kind of a, a like a spray tan French manicured look. Happening. You look great. Thank you. So is this is this the new you? This is Jared. Now, I don't know if you remember us talking about this, but when I saw you in January of 2021, 2022, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. in the new year, mm-hmm. and we talked about starting the podcast, among other things, we talked about this was going to be our bimbo years, if you oh. recall. Do you recall that conversation? So I don't. I'm, I forgot about that. Okay, well, I'm finally leaning into that, and I'm, I'm saying bimbo with the highest, right, the highest respect right right so i think i maybe i'm finally leaning into it a little bit wow yeah i guess i've gotten dumber but not on purpose so i haven't been mindfully becoming a himbo but Mm. maybe that's what like the true essence of himboism it is of like being oblivious Mm -hmm. to your himbo is stick ways right it's almost like poetic it is it is and i feel like also, even if there was a mindfulness aspect of it, if you're already dumber, you've got, you're halfway there. And so you just have to work on the mindfulness, which I feel like you've demonstrated here today. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. So I'm there. We're there. We're doing it. 
we are there we're doing it so i don't even i don't think it's like on trend anymore but um in classic bimbo fashion uh, mm-hmm. maybe i'm a few steps behind <laughs> we're fulfilling our new year's resolutions though that means we are so also maybe a few months late but better late than never what do you mean a few months late a few months late for our new year's resolution oh no i think a new year's resolution can be done anytime anytime there's no greater well, time to start than now what a lovely thing to say but you you sparked a question in my mind so i'm just gonna okay. breeze past your lovely statement okay is it if i like made a new year's resolution in 2010 mm-hmm. can i no longer say in 2022 and i'm not thinking of one in particular but can i no longer say in 2022 like i fulfilled my new year's resolution because is it is it just does it apply for that one year essentially is what i'm asking I would say no. I would say it applies always. It's a goal that you have with just like a dumb label on it, right? We use the new year to jumpstart ambitions and goals. But I mean, if you accomplish it at some point, and it's still a goal, I would say that you're fulfilling Mm. that new year's resolution. Oh, that was sweet. I kind of, I like when we're like a little bitter on the podcast, because that that was too nice. I don't know oh, how to okay. respond um, to yeah. it. <laughs> then, yes, it's too fucking late. It's too late. It's Good. Get out You're right now. It's the end of you and me. Too late. <gasps> too Keep going. Too Little Too Late Come by on. JoJo. No, I know. I'm trying to get you. You're only singing some of the lyrics. Because <laughs> I only know some of the lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting to see if you were going to sing more. No, no, I'm not. And I think okay. everybody would appreciate that. Maybe. We've done a lot of singing already today. I know. It's a very musical episode. It is. But it that is. stops here. Yeah, this is our Grey's Anatomy random music musical episode that it was thrown in the middle and we promise we'll never do it again. Every season needs one. They need one musical episode. This was it. And this was it. So I hope you enjoyed it. We're never. Oh, that's it. Okay. Thank you, everyone. No, we're never we'll doing anything again. Week. Oh, no, we'll never I'm throwing see my you. microphone out the window. We're done. Oh, wow. So then this story that I prepared for today has no purpose. I mean, I guess I can hear it, but All right. like, I won't be enthusiastic about it. No, I think you will, though. I think you'll enjoy this one. And I did text you okay. before we started that this week was a good one. You did, and I responded that every week is a good one, and our listeners better feel the same way. They but, are enthusiastically nodding. But in any case, I am, I'm ready. I am ready to receive your story. Great. So last week, while you were telling your story about Folsom, the Folsom Street mm-hmm. Fair, which, by the way, if you went, send us those detailed descriptions and send us yeah. a message first asking if you can send us photos and maybe Please. we'll say yes yes but, <laughs> either way last week you said that a lot of our subjects take place in like the 1960s 1950s mm-hmm. because that's around the time of the queer rights movement in the u.s you said that you wanted something more so in the early 20th century i told you i would think on it well i thought on it And in conjunction with recognizing Hispanic Heritage Month, which is currently Mm -hmm. happening, I came up with Emilio Robles Avila. You came up with? You invented this person? I thought of the subject. (laughs) I thought of covering the subject of Emilio Robles Avila. Amazing. Now, just right up top, Emilio is a trans man. 
I usually like to save bits of information while I'm telling a story, you know, for like some reveals and twists and turns. But I want to celebrate Emilio really in his entirety from the beginning. So I'm going to be using he, him pronouns even when talking through his early life before he identified as a man. So some sources that I used just before we really jump into our story. The little-known history of Emilio Robles, a trans Zapatista who fought in Mexico's revolution by Amaris Castillo. Emilio's profile from The Legacy Project. Emilio's Wikipedia page. Emilio Robles Avila, trans legend of the Mexican Revolution by Alex Velasquez. Gender and Transgender in the Mexican Revolution, The Shifting Memory of Emilio Robles by Gabriela Cano. When Women Took Up Arms to Fight in Mexico's Revolution by Maura Homan, and the National Endowment of the Humanities page on the Mexican Revolution. Emilio is born Amelia Robles Avila on November 3rd, 1889 to Casimiro Robles and Josefa Avila in Xochipala, Guerrero, Mexico. That was good. Thank you. There were a lot, there's a lot of spelling out the words id phonetically. You got it. Emilio is assigned female at birth and is the youngest of three children. Emilio is also born into a moneyed family, so likely middle to upper middle class, with his father owning 42 hectares or 104 acres of land and a small mezcal factory. When Emilio is three, though, his father dies and his mother remarries to one of the ranch hands that works on the family's land with the livestock. His mother and stepfather have three more children, and the pair raise all six children in a strictly Catholic home. And because of this, Emilio is enrolled in a private, all-girls Catholic school. And here he learns the tasks typical of a wealthy young girl, and by the age of 12 is well-versed in sewing, cooking, and laundering. Emilio, though, very understandably, I think, from everyone, doesn't care for these lessons and quickly becomes labeled as stubborn and defiant and is never doing what's expected of him. Mm. Instead, he shows inclinations towards more quote-unquote masculine activities as with a lot of our trans and non-binary historically really good friends, such as learning to tame and mount horses and handling and shooting weapons, becoming an excellent marksman and rider. And it's these interests of Emilio that will, a few years down the line in 1911, lead him toward his involvement in one of the most influential events in Mexican history, the Mexican Revolution. For some context to the Mexican Revolution, I know that we very briefly touched upon it in our very, very first episode with Frida Kahlo. However, just for those who haven't listened, or if you feel like you still are unclear about the Mexican Revolution, not saying Rachel did a bad job, but... Not saying that I know. (laughs) I'm I'm interested to learn more also, so please refresh my memory. Great, okay, (laughs) As stated on the National Endowment for Humanities website, quote, the motives for waging the Mexican Revolution grew out of the belief that a few wealthy landowners could no longer continue the old ways of Spanish colonial rule, which was a feudal-like system. That system needed to be replaced by a modern one, in which those who actually worked the land should extract its wealth through their labor. Mm -hmm. 
The Mexican Revolution started in 1910 when liberals and intellectuals began to challenge the regime of dictator Porfirio Diaz, who had been in power since 1877, a term of 34 years, violating the principles and ideals of the Mexican Constitution of 1875. So the initial resistance kicks off in 1910, and within the year, Diaz, the 34-year-long president, is forced out of office when he's then replaced. Now, from my understanding, around 1911, a new resistance against this replacement begins, and the leader of this new resistance, Emiliano Zapata, puts forth the mission to defend communal lands against the encroachments of privately owned haciendas or estates. And as Zapata's fighters travel to and through Xochipala, Emilio's town that is currently trying to defend itself from the encroachment of a nearby hacienda, Emilio recognizes the need for volunteers in this movement. Mm. And so Emilio joins Zapata's agrarian resistance movement at the age of 22, still presenting as a woman, making him a soldadera. I know that's not how you pronounce it. Soldadera. Something like that. (laughs) You just said it in a deeper voice. (laughs) And rolled in R, maybe. (laughs) Forgive me. Now, soldaderas are the women who join the war effort. The majority join as nurses or wives following their husbands, providing domestic help wherever they can, you know, cooking, tending to the camps, etc. Other women, however, decide to take up arms. And these women, these revolutionary fighters, wear long peasant skirts, large straw hats, and cross bullet belts, showing as much courage as the male fighters. For many soldaderas, They use joining the war effort to break from traditional female roles and attempt at escaping oppressive conditions. And some soldaderas even don male clothing and adopt a male name. Reasons vary, such as, you know, societal expectations for women not allowing them to join the war efforts in the capacity they want to, meaning they can fight, but they wouldn't be recognized with the titles and recognition of their male counterparts. Mm -hmm. Or to protect themselves from sexual violence and high-ranking officials who resent these women warriors. Mm. But when Emilio joins, he still presents as a woman. His first job is to go to the Gulf of Mexico with a committee in order to raise money from oil companies to aid the revolutionary cause. So he campaigns and he does it successfully. But when he returns from his first job... There's a lot of social instability, evacuations, and constant danger to citizens and guerrilla fighters from the government's army. And it's through this type of environment that Emilio finds it favorable to adopt the desired masculine identity and appearance. And now my initial thought when reading this was that Emilio does this as a means of safety, as a means of protection from any sexual violence. However, the historian and professor at the College of Mexico who has examined Emilio's life, Gabriela Cano, says, Emilio moved, quote, from an imposed feminine identity to a masculinity that felt right for him. Mm -hmm. It's in war that the parameters of existing gender are shaken, end quote. Mm. I think that's a really great point, and we've seen that where, of course, there are different reasons for a lot of different people, but, you know, a space where it's almost appropriate or it's not out of the ordinary 
to begin exploring other gender presentations sort of provides a safety net to to live in that way. And I also think it's interesting, and this is not the first time we've brought it up, and sorry if this turns into a little bit of a rant, but, <laughs> you know, today we hear a lot of things about trans people, non-binary people, and this idea, especially young people assigned female at birth who are looking to especially medically transition and that people are like well yeah if that was an option for me an option first of all but anyway if that was an option for me as a young woman of course I would do that because being a woman sucks and it's like okay let's unpack all of that for just a moment because I think the inclination a lot of times to be like transness, especially in people assigned female at birth, isn't real because people just don't want to be a woman because of the gender roles assigned to women. And it's like transness exists. Mm -hmm. Also, there's a lot of misogyny. (laughs) Like patriarchy exists. Those things are not the same. And and this idea that you're swapping one marginalized identity for another to make your life easier in some way is fucking absurd to me. And again, sorry if that's ranty, but like I see so many parallels in this story that like the speculation of, well, clearly from a young age amelia was saying well i don't want to learn how to launder or wash dishes or all of those other things and it's like yeah those things suck but that's not that's not the root of transness right stop that right 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 (laughs) just like reevaluate that unpack that i don't mean to be come off aggressive about it but like really think about what you're saying when you're saying something like that sure yeah and it's as if Emilio, at the start of the war or at the start of his involvement in the war, sees this moment in which he can make this transformation that he's been wanting to make, right? Like you're saying, it's right. not that this is the start of just being like, oh, well, if I can be a man, like, I'm going to, uh, why not? Right, like, like, sure, like why escaping not? the patriarchy or escaping misogyny. It's instead offering a reasonable explanation for feelings that, you have about yourself and your body and your identity. Mm -hmm. And so where it's maybe not acceptable or appropriate to transition in a normal day-to-day lifestyle, now could be an exception that allows Emilio to achieve this deep desire. And so he sees in this time of war, this, this opportunity to be able to successfully transition you know, right. transition for what that means at the time. And and he takes right. it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And in order to accomplish this physical transformation, Emilio deliberately chooses shirts that are common in his rural area at the time that have large chest pockets. He also carries a pistol in a holster on his waist. Additionally, Emilio assumes the poses, facial gestures, and body movements typical of men from Sochipala, and he changes his name officially to Emilio. Mm-hmm. And so as he participates in this resistance fighting, Emilio is known as Emilio and demands to be treated as such, as do many of the soldaderas who dress like men. Angela Jimenez, known as Angel during the war, earns respect by threatening anyone who tries to seduce her, 
as her real identity is known by most of the men around her. Mm. Petra Herrera, also known as Pedro during the war, commits more to her story, insisting she shaves every morning at dawn before the others wake up, and later she earns recognition for her intelligence, valor, and skill for destroying bridges. But as seen in the cases of Angela Jimenez and Petra Herrera, they resume their female identities once the revolution is through, whereas, spoiler alert, Emilio's reasoning and connection to his male identity can't so easily just be put away. Right. As Kano notes in her findings, during his guerrilla participation, Emilio is quoted saying he feels the sensation of being completely free, something he never experienced as a woman in his hometown. And so from the years 1913 to 1918, which is the majority of the Mexican Revolution, Emilio fights as a Zapatista Colonel Emilia Robles Avila, or El Colonel Robles, with the Zapatistas under the command of the main revolutionary leaders of the state. And like how Angela and Petra found ways in which they made an impression and earned respect, Emilio becomes known for the machismo or masculinity or, you know, like male pride that he displays. He stands out amongst his fellow guerrillas for his aggression, drinking, womanizing, and skills with guns and horses. You know, all the things that we associate with typical masculinity. It's like he, when people think of what masculinity is, they think of Emilio. He's like, it sounds like he's like Gaston. Like if you yeah. had to, if you had to yes. to make like a cartoon character out of this situation, it's like people thought of him like yes. they did Gaston in the beginning of Beauty and the Beast. thousand percent, absolutely. <laughs> and Emilio would make so much more of an interesting character. <laughs> and because of this respect that he is able to earn emilio is also able to create bonds with fellow fighters and so he earns the respect and attention of his peers and superiors as a capable military leader working his way up the ranks and eventually he's given his own command and it's said that in battle emilio is known to shoot his pistol with his right hand while holding a cigar in the left and so he kind of has this like myth or like legendary status about him, right? He's like this idealized fighter, this like, if you think about like American Western movies, right? You think about like the gun-toting cowboy who like smokes and drinks and like, like it just feels like a, like a hyper- Like John Wayne. Yeah, yeah. It feels like a hyper-realized or idealized version of like a masculine Western man. And this is Emilio. It's like he has right. the same legendary status about him that these movie characters do. Right. He has the same aura that like all of those problematic, problematic because of, they were based mm-hmm. on, they weren't actually a reflection of those people, but right. like embodying all of the things that for the time masculinity was meant to embody, which just reminds me of like, I was talking to one of my close friends shout out you know who you are i love you about how like gender is such a, is such a performance and that the yeah. way that we understand gender yeah it really is how how we feel about it and how it looks and how it sounds and right. it's it's constructed in such an interesting way that masculinity can be in one sense represented by a person who if exposed would be seen completely up the opposite. Right. 1000%. And with this 
legendary machismo fighting style, Emilio leads and wins multiple battles, commanding at one time over 300 men. Like, that's no easy feat. That is a lot of people to be in charge of, especially in war. That's a lot of planning. That's a lot of trust. That's a lot of just, like, having the ability. In November of 1919, now when Emilio is about 30, Emiliano Zapata is assassinated. The man who Emilio is fighting directly for, under, and alongside of. And so Emilio and his 315 or so guerrillas surrender to the military chief of Guerrero, the part of Mexico he's in, and he becomes part of a new unified military structure. He continues fighting in various battles through the end of the Mexican Revolution, so around 1920, but he remains in this new unified military structure fighting well into the mid-1920s. After the Mexican Revolution subsides, Emilio sustains his masculinity and his true identity. For some time, he settles in the town of Iguala, and it's said that during his time here, a group of men actually attack Emilio with the intention of quote-unquote revealing his anatomy, and so in response, he kills two of them in self-defense, earning him a sentence at the local jail. This anecdote exemplifies the anxiety turned into anger that sometimes plagued Emilio, who is essentially leading the charge of calling his nation's gender expectations and roles into question. Mm -hmm. A former neighbor of Emilio's recalls that if anyone even labeled Emilio as a woman or a Danya, meaning Mrs., he would threaten them with his pistol. As Kano puts it, the most arduous battle that Emilio fought, quote, did not take place at cross country, did not have the smell of gunpowder, nor did it require the use of the weapons of the agrarian ideology of the Mexican Revolution. It was a cultural battle, a silent and slow fight, whose great victory was to become a man, end quote. In the 1930s, Emilio relocates north of Sochipala, where he meets a woman by the name Angela Torres. After falling in love, the two marry and adopt a daughter together. And for the next decade or so, Emilio and Angela remain together. However, at some point, Angela and their daughter become estranged from Emilio. But as Emilio grows older, neighbors and family members address him as Mr., Colonel, Uncle, or Great Uncle, giving him the respect associated with an elder property owner and household head. Much of his community applauds his efforts in the Mexican Revolution and remembers him as a valiant man. And so between the 1930s and what I'm about to talk about, it's kind of, we, we kind of lose Emilio. We kind of lose, at least in the sources that I can find, what he's up to. It seems like maybe he's just okay. kind of living his life. He's off the grid. He's doing his thing. However, skipping ahead to 1970... Emilio is officially recognized as a veteran of the Mexican Revolution and awarded a medal as Honorary Legionnaire of the Mexican Army. So this is the national defense officially recognizing and listing Emilio as a male veteran, making him the first trans soldier in Mexican military history. Over a decade later, in December of 1984, Emilio passes away at the age of 95. Oh my gosh. Now, Emilio was an amazing man and left an incredible legacy, especially for a trans man in Mexico at this time in history, and I want us to remember him this way. However, 
It's also important to note that although Emilio was recognized as a man by his family, friends, and even the Ministry of National Defense, over time, his trans identity has become incredibly diluted, and many see him as a soldadera like Angela Jimenez or Petra Herrera. Postmortem, his tombstone bears Coronela Emilia Robles, the title for a woman who achieved officer status during the war. In 1989, a museum is also set up in Sochipala to, quote, celebrate Coronella Robles's female identity and her contributions to the Mexican Revolution, end quote. Mm. And there are rumors that on Emilio's deathbed, he made two requests. To receive honors for his military service and to be dressed as a woman in order to commend his soul to God. However, Emilio's death certificate notes that he lost the ability to speak more than a year before dying. So not only do these instances deadname Emilio, they also attempt to delegitimize his transness and disregard the authentic life he led for over 70 years. Not only this, but Emilio is powerless in opposing the feminization of his life and name. And so by continuing to tell his story and by continuing to listen to his story, I'm hoping that we're doing the pertinent work of defending it for him. Mm-hmm. And that's the story of Emilio Robles Avila, one of the first trans figures in Hispanic history. Thank you so much. You're right. You were totally right. I'm glad I didn't throw my microphone out the window. That was Me a too. really great story to hear. And it is, as we've talked about in many other stories, a shame to hear that this is happening, especially in death. I feel like for a lot of our stories, people get recognition mm-hmm. post-mortem, um, whereas in this situation, it feels like that's not the case. And right. also, you know, that's what we t- we mentioned a little bit earlier in my rant about like how oftentimes feminism is pitted against transness, especially yeah. for people assigned female at birth. And this seems like one of those times of like potentially f- I, and I can't, um, I'm going on assumption here, like feminists taking it upon themselves to be like, this woman did these things because that advances and demonstrates the power of women. Whereas women can be powerful and trans people can be revolutionary as well, also. As I was reading one of the articles, there was a historian that was saying that this time in history, the Mexican Revolution, was not a time for the progression of feminism. Mm. They were not using this time to say, look at what these women are doing and look what they can do. But it was more so that they were using this time to say, like, these are bodies and these women are only achieving so much they can only hit a certain level but Mm. then they're going to go back to being housewives and mothers and teachers and doing all these other things but they do have wombs after all right so they can only be mothers and so there's not this level of well look at what we did but rather of claiming emilio and saying you know he was not a man and we need to remember him as a woman where it's like, no, but even after the war, while he's alive, everybody knows right. him as a man. You can't just decide then after that, right. that this time in history, right. you know, means that he wasn't a man. It's like, no, of course, like trans people have existed forever, which obviously pe- right. a lot of people don't realize, don't know that that's the case. But you don't just get to decide and rewrite history no. because it suits what you think is the case. 
you know, just get to like claim historical figures for your right. team. Like, for your museum. Right. Like that that's what I think is so I think I do just think that that's so funny of like and it's not it's not funny, of course, but right. I mean humor is so in the way that if you look at it of like regardless of this person's identity, they did a cool thing and I want to have that cool thing. Right. I want that cool thing to be my cool thing. So I'm going to erase the true history of that person and just be like, no, they're they me. Me. I want I, it. I, that's I, I want to claim it. Right. Which is sorry, that's not the case. And I don't love ending a story that is about such a cool badass person and yeah. kind of bringing us back to reality but the fact is this is happening this happens this has happened and it's going to continue to happen unless we are able to defend our trans friends historically mm-hmm. really good or you know modern you know just adequate friends right. it doesn't matter strangers are historically just, mediocre friends that's right fine. historically stranger people right So I think it's important to kind of note that unless us cis people are doing the work, nothing is going to change because it is an us problem and not a them problem. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And one other thing, you know, at work that I'll bring up that I think was really impactful to me and to any other people out there listening that have privilege in certain areas of their of their lives to consider as well. You know, we were talking to students about microaggressions in the classroom and Mm. and some of them had shared, you know, after a while, you don't want to have to keep correcting people, whether it's about your pronouns, whether it's about the pronunciation of your name or the spelling of your name Mm -hmm. or it's something like that. You, You it gets tiring after a while to to correct someone about those things and instead you know it, it kind of ends up feeling helpless and it mm-hmm. falls to you as the individual whereas instead if you're seeing something like that happen turn around and saying that's not how you pronounce that name actually mm-hmm. that's not how you spell that actually that person uses these pronouns right and then instead if you know that and you want to be supportive in that way and and taking this case, you know, of course, in the reality of the situation that this happens, that this did happen, and it's unfortunate, what can we do from there? And, and being mindful of that, and, and with permission, being able to sometimes take the burden off of people to have to defend their own lives, I think is sort of the sort of the point and sort of the thing that stuck with me that for people who don't share those marginalized identities, it's, a lot easier to just step in and a lot less mm-hmm. vulnerable to step in and say, actually, you're getting that wrong. Yeah. So if we could, please do that so for if you could. trans friends, non-binary friends, anybody that has institutionally been oppressed, mm-hmm. I think it'd be nice. Yeah. Just do that it would, for them, it, please. It, yeah. Imagine, Are we asking for a lot? I don't think so. I don't think so either. I don't think so. I really don't think so. You know, I just, I feel like where you can, do what you can, when you can. Do what you can. Thank you. Thank you for that story. Of course. Thank you everyone for listening and happy Hispanic Heritage Month to those who celebrate and to those who don't. Thanks for tuning in to episode 31 of Historically Really Good Friends, where we talked about a trans figure in Hispanic history. This is your weekly reminder that acknowledging the queerness of our history makes having your butt cheeks lifted by a stranger just a little bit more fun. Please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen. 
As always, to see photos from this week's episode, you can check out our Instagram, at historicallyreally. And feel free to send us your personal stories at historicallyreallygoodfriends at gmail.com or DM us on Instagram. We hope to see you again next week. Goodbye. Bye.